narrative of auteur detour, wherein three film lovers travel through the filmographies of cinema's most important directors in hopes of finding a greater understanding on the other side. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Autor Detour. I'm Ian Hinckley here as always with Chris Balaza. Pip Pip and Tally Ho. And Travis White. Yeah, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, anyway, we're here going through the films of Alfonso Cuaron, and this is the second one, his first American production, uh, A Little Princess. <laughs> In 1995, four years after the stunted release of his cult sex farce, uh, Quaron finally released his follow-up movie, an American production of Frances Hodson Burnett's A Little Princess. The third big-screen adaptation of the novel following Mary Pickford's in 1917 and Shirley Temple's from 1939. Quaron's take on the story from a screenplay by Elizabeth Chandler and Richard Legrand-Lenice, I think you say it, uh, changed most of the outdated and often racist themes from the novel and many of the plot points and focused brilliantly on the core theme uh, being childhood. The sadness, loneliness, and fear that comes with childhood and the beauty that a child's imagination and strength of belief can do in spite of it. It starts with 11-year-old Sarah Crew living in India with her widowed father they share a closeness that you just didn't see in movies, especially in 90s movies. Um, and it's kind of beautiful for me to watch, having an 11-year-old girl myself. Uh, but it's 1914, and World War I breaks out, so her father goes to Europe to serve and sends Sarah to Miss Minchin's girl school in New York. When she's first there, her father's wealth affords her the grace of Miss Minchin, and she quickly makes an impact on almost every girl in the school using her stories of Indian fairy tales to give them hope in a world that feels pretty hopeless. Most affected is the black servant girl, Becky, who lives in the attic and is made to work and suffer and not talk to the other children. Soon, though, news comes that Sarah's father has been killed in action and his riches have been seized leaving Sarah a penniless orphan. Miss Minchin, no longer bound to privilege Sarah because of her money, takes out all of her own anger and revenge on the child, sending her to live with Becky in the attic and berating her constantly with the reminder that Sarah is neither special nor a princess. But Sarah's kindness has touched everyone she's met, from Becky to Amelia, Miss Minchin's subordinate sister, to Ram Dass, the Indian valet of a wealthy neighbor who lost his son in the war. And in a magically real coincidence, Captain Crew turns up alive with amnesia and living in the wealthy neighbor's home while he recovers. When Miss Minchin has finally pushed Sarah too far, Sarah flees across a plank to the neighbor's house, where she's reunited with her loving father who also takes in Becky and forces Miss Minchin out of the school for everyone to live happily ever after. 
For Quran, it was an incredibly personal film for his own 11-year-old son. To me, it's an incredibly earnest and beautifully shot meditation of what it means to be a child and what it means to be a parent. But I want to know what it is for you guys. So oh, I was wondering me. if we were going to get a chance to talk. <laughs> Thank you. You could have talked. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Have you seen this movie before? I have. It's been forever since I saw it. So <laughs> it's actually really, really interesting. There's two different great takeaways. First of all, this looks way better than I ever remembered it. It's amazing it's visually. It's so incredibly lucky. It's so good. I mean, uh, certain details about it, the sound, like when the thunder hits, it's awesome. Uh, the visuals are fantastic. It's totally clear immediately why they chose Quaron and Lubezki for, uh, or next to Lubezki wasn't part of the uh, 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 Harry Potter movies, but it's obvious like this guy's got like the eye for detail that we need, you know, and he works with kids yeah. before, uh, like even down to the costumes. I was really paying attention this time to like the sets and the scenery, the everything. Uh, the lighting's amazing. It just looks great. This is just a beautifully shot movie that I just don't remember having the eye for detail to like notice the first time I saw it years and years ago. Um, on the <laughs> on the other hand, there's parts of it that are just like this is absolutely ridiculous, you know. Uh, so some of the kids, the child acting is just not not good at all, you know. Oh, I love uh, the child acting. I have <laughs> I, I kind of I go is... back and forth on a couple of the actors, <laughs> but too. like yeah. But as just like watching it, there were times in my life where certain performances bugged me more. But yeah. uh, now when I look at it now, I'm like these are infants. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like they are doing fantastic no it's not bad and honestly there's some of the dialogue that's like even if you gave this to like a a grade a actor actress no matter how old they are it's like it just isn't easy to work with in some ways you know we usually don't do this this early in the movie but did you know who was supposed to be sarah who he wanted for sarah like and cast her but she ended up being three years too young shirley temple the fifth yeah scarlett johansson Wow. No way. Yeah. Really? Been incredible. Yeah. Wow, she was eight yeah. when it came out or when he was I, making it. And I would he, love like, to have seen that. Wanted her this, the whole time. But he's like, it's just too young. Like, well, there's something about this actress girl. Like she, there's certain things that are great about her. Certain things that are not great about her. Like her eyes don't really tend to emote. Like when there's an emotional part, it's like her eyes just kind of like, you know, stay the same, but she also delivers certain lines like perfectly because of it. Like she rips on this Lavinia girl. She's like, well, you know, uh, it's not something like being a like a snotty, self-absorbed, you know, spoiled girl. Yes. And it's um, yeah. she. I literally laughed out loud when she said it because the delivery <laughs> yeah. was so just it's, steadfast yeah, and almost monotone very, that it worked well, brilliantly. In my, I was just gonna say like to me, she has like kind of like a um like she can't fully engage with the emotions that she's trying to pull off. But it, in th- this watching, like never before, to me, it gave her kind of like a spaciness. Or that's how I kind of like rationalized it. Like she was just kind of off in her like kind of dream well, world. And part that of it, kind of worked for me. So. There's mm. part of it that like, you know, she has to live in her own bubble. Right. And that's kind right. of how what you're talking about. The spaciness, right. I think, is just like she's right. just completely self, you know, involved in a good way almost for yes. her. Yes. Um, to me about the kid acting before you get into I mean, Travis, you basically told us last week what you thought about this movie, but you can get into it again for anybody who didn't listen to that episode. I just felt like I always was turned off by the kid acting, specifically Sarah's, like when I watched this movie when I was younger or with Greta. But this watch, I had a complete turnaround on it where I was like, oh, in a weird way, the fact that like they all act like kids playing in a game almost the way that they're acting with each other. It 
it elevated it to this level of like earnestness in a weird way that like felt like, you know, I'm honestly, it would have been worse if it would have had like a powerful actor in those parts. I don't know. I mean, maybe it wouldn't have been worse, but it would have been a different tone to the movie in a weird way. I don't know. Like, I feel like she did a good job and I don't think it's necessarily her fault that she did a good job. It was all on Quaron. I think that she did as good of a job as she did to me. I don't know. I think everybody's pretty much perfect. I think the adult cast is so powerful too, especially her dad. Like for such a, like a relatively small part, that guy, they got such a good actor to come in and like absolutely nail the emotion, like in a couple like key scenes that really like makes this movie. I mean, his like goodbye to her at the beginning and then his kind of like the amnesiac kind of like uh, Mm -hmm. sorrow at the end when they're like, he's based like his, yeah, his mental problems are going to like stand in the way of them reuniting. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I was it's... just, just going to say, I, I was like a little scared to like meet and talk about this movie. Cause I have like no thoughts on it, only feelings. <laughs> I have my notebook <laughs> out to like, uh, you know, write down like some new ideas and stuff like that. I'm like, God, I could talk about this movie forever. And I'm looking at it now and it's just tear stains all over yeah. the paper. <laughs> that's all i got so can you guys for someone like myself who hasn't or maybe i'm not sure if you guys have seen the prior versions of this movie but uh can you anyone talk about the differences you kind of mentioned it very briefly in the intro but uh how does this movie separate itself from the prior versions with shirley temple and and the other one before that so ian have you seen the shirley temple version yeah of course yeah it's excruciating it's awful <laughs> i mean the only part it's that, a like, nightmare it's it's got the animal crackers in my soup which everybody has seen i think you know, right it's like the the number from that's the, the only scene i remember uh like in my mind's eye but again i haven't seen the movie you mean like excruciating from a racial like standpoint and from uh, how, no, how do you just, how excruciating? Like, just an entertainment standpoint <laughs> i have <laughs> recorded confession time i have recorded over 50 tiktoks with the animal with me lip syncing animal crackers in my soup in various uh locations and costumes but but the movie in context no there's just like all these awful musical numbers that just Mm. go on and on and on and i i was actually like i mean personally i don't feel as strongly judging a movie that's built for 40 year olds but sure travis go off i have some very strong feelings (laughs) no it's cute it's whatever but uh yeah but i mean this movie was what for 10 year olds and it's like i don't think it is i think it's one of my favorite movies interesting that you say that because i don't think it's for 10 year olds like i think that alfonso Cuarón makes this is one of the revelations i had watching this movie after even though we're only two movies into his filmography and his last one was so such a departure except for a couple of themes and stuff like that. But like it became a clear to me how important the roles of a parent and a child are to him. Like, obviously we mentioned that last time and how, you know, it's very clear in some movies like this one, children of men and obviously whatever Roma, but like, it's so this movie felt to me like as much about the parent role as as her role in a weird way. This time I watched it. I don't know. I just felt his, like I mentioned in the intro, but like it's, you never see movies where a dad loves his daughter so much and the daughter loves her dad so much. Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and that's really, really powerful to me to watch that. Like, and even Greta yeah. was 
weeping watching it next to me because good, she was good. just like i mean yeah so in that way it is for 11 year olds but like mostly she was like weeping because like and she feels like that's what parenting and kids are like you know like that's her experience with it it's not like the eye rolling at the dad that you get from like 90s movies that came out this time totally yeah i was um, thinking if tim allen was cast as a dad it would have a much different feel this guy was great. I mean, oh, Chris, just to get back to your question, though, Shirley Temple version is basically like a showcase for Shirley Temple to be Shirley Temple. You know, it doesn't really have any of the plot points that matter. The only difference or the only thing that it brought is that in that version, the dad comes back from the war, just like in this version. In the book, he actually is dead. He's dead. And also and he wasn't, he like this movie is very, I think purposely vague about what the dad is doing in India. There are just British people in India. That's yeah. just the thing. Uh, they make, you know, kind of light of colonialism. colonialism. You know? If they made right, it yeah. in today, there would be like jokes about it. It's like, you're doing what in India? Like, right. uh, but like, which also would have ruined it. But like, so they, they really try to like walk this narrow line of like bringing that part of the story in. Cause I think that is an important part of the story, uh, mm-hmm. in this and the secret garden, which was by the same author. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, also like an incredible nineties, uh, movie, uh, by, mm-hmm. uh, an immigrant director. So in the original one, he owns a diamond mine. So he's just literally right. like exploiting uh, the Indians yeesh. and making his family and his daughter rich. And what then are, like are the some other uh, I know. finale is, is not that she gets reunited with her dad, but she like regains the deed to the diamond mine, you know, like, yeah, so it's basically the, the neighbor is like yeah. the partner in the diamond mine. And they find out that there is money in it. And then she's like, Becky gets taken in by the person too, but as her servant, not as her like yeah. adopted sister, oh. uh, which and is also kind of, she's like, not black in the original or, you know, she's just like a cockney right. English girl. Cause it takes place in England. I think the yeah. updates that this movie made changing it to world war one, having it be a New York story, you know, and obviously like, you know, this sort of, like you said, the, the vaguing of the, uh, (laughs) India stuff and that kind of thing. I think it's all great changes. Like, I think that, you know, it really helped tell the story and, you know, I liked the Becky thing, like the Becky storyline is very tricky one that could be like done poorly or not age well. To me, I don't know if you both feel like this, but to me, I think it worked really well. Like, I think it's the best way to handle, like, talking about racism in a kid's movie. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And her being the best actor in the movie, or best child actor, rather, is also, like, very helpful to, like, ground her and Sarah together like a good pair, you know? It's because Sarah's like, do you think we should eat it? And she's like, hell yeah, we should eat it. (laughs) I would laugh so hard at that part because they're like literally are confronted with this giant plate of like of mystery food, like totally not suspicious food. Like, I'm scared. And they're like, I'm not that scared. They're starving up there. Like, like, how scared could you be? You know, like, what's the extent of your your fear here? You know, oh, well, whatever. We'll eat this totally not suspicious food. No, Becky Becky was great. I just, it raises, this movie raises so many questions for me, you know? Because, again, I haven't seen the uh, prior versions, but it's like, Mm -hmm. where did Becky come from? Like, was she like, like taken, and she too. obviously wasn't in the same situation as Sarah. I, I highly doubt yeah. she was a student who like lost her tuition and you no, know no, is now like. No, no, no. And who was this like quote? They're like the only people 
actually cleaning this massive cavernous spotless place you know it's like wait where who was cleaning this before and could they not have maybe like brought in a servant that's a little older and might be able to like you know pull her like you know more weight like what if cps comes in here you know this is just brimming (laughs) oh there was no cps back then it was like cps is like how's your servant child working are they doing it like i'm pretty sure they enslaved slavery laws in the u.s in the 1940s though you know i mean i'm pretty sure you could enslave children back then 1910s in, uh, 1910s in new york uh oh the 10s i mean okay right right yeah. world war one not two um yeah, yeah, right yeah. right right of course but still no it was great uh, i liked the character she was fun the the dynamic between the two is really funny i remember just like the attic part looks really really cool it's just really i got a great laugh out of me when she uh when sarah confronts miss um Minchin about like how all girls are princesses like they're all princesses mm-hmm. even ones who live in tiny old attics as yeah, this, yeah. As, as, while she said while living in the g- most gigantic <laughs> attic of all time it's got like these that 50 foot bigger. ceilings it's bigger than my apartment i know yeah. if exactly i could have that I attic saying. with that like i with wish that i lived in that attic oh my god yeah. that New window Yorkers, is so I mean, awesome here's yeah. the thing about this movie is like what everything that you're talking about, whether it's the like two 11 year old girls doing all of the maintenance of this mansion or whatever, yeah. it's all just magical realism. Like that's where and, well, this thing is. Well, Ian, swimming. and this is how I, I, when I, I mean, I don't want to say I disagree with you, but like, I mean, I, I think it is important to talk about how um, well this movie, like how carefully and beautifully this movie, like recreates like the viewpoint of a child, right? Yeah. Everything is like you're saying it's magical realism, but specifically from the view of a child. And when you say it's like, it's also for adult parents, I think that at any age you can really get something out of the story and out of the movie. Espe- again, especially with the dad. And that's not just some guy who plays the dad. That's Liam Cunningham. Yeah, he's, he's a great, great actor. He's from Game of Thrones. Of and he's also a socialist. He's a v- very good Twitter account. <laughs> nice. You should follow him. Uh, he's a very cool dude. Um, but uh, like things like, uh, yeah, they're the, they have to do all the maintenance on the place. You know what I mean? Like Minchin's yeah. like giant mole and her giant hairdo and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. The way that the kids are the only ones that seem like full human beings besides the dad that Sarah has a relationship with. But other than that, everyone's just like a cartoon character. Like, the, you know, romance is something that like adults do. That's kind of, like you can kind of daydream it's about common. it in like a that's fantasy. But like, but like, uh, yeah, it's just all the the adults are kind of just like these like either like horrifying monsters or like kind of silly buffoonish people you know what like I mean? the Allegedly. french teacher totally oh is that sausages yeah. i smell you know and he <laughs> wanders off like this guy's a total cartoon character you know they designed all the sets to be like too big for the kids and stuff mm-hmm. like that and yeah the overall effect of it is really incredible and the set work in this movie is incredible amazing they raised the doorknobs on the doors so that they felt you know, bigger to the kids, you know, it's like all of those. I mean, the set, this was a built set, obviously. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And what an incredible set this is like gorgeous, this giant, I don't know, a state at the end of a street in New York. That's just like, I don't know. I just loved the way it looked so much. The India stuff was beautiful. Like I'll tell you a little bit, like just while I'm thinking about it, like I didn't like this movie when I was a kid. I didn't mention that last week. What? What? <laughs> like, you know, my sister was three years younger than me, two and a half years younger than me. So like when this came out, I think she was 11 probably. And she fucking loved it. And to me, it was not just like 
And she also loved the Shirley Temple one before that. Like, you know, she grew up with like, I am a little princess mm-hmm. on her lips all day long. And so it wasn't just like, I mean, a movie that she would watch that I would tune out. Like I was always annoyed when she would put it on. So oh, wow. I came to it with like an unfortunate. Ignorance. What do you call it? Yeah. I mean, no, like an unfortunate, like a stigma, I guess, you know, just like a, like a bias because it was just my little sister's dumb movie, you know? And then like great expectations came out and I didn't like that movie. And I'm like, I wasn't in on Koran at all. Like I kind of, you know, at that point. And then it wasn't until Greta was like probably five and I showed, she wanted to watch it for the first time Mm -hmm. and we read it and whatever. And, and I was like, holy shit, like this is way better than I would like was smart oh, enough to know. Good, yeah. <laughs> like had the, one of those moments that I've had many times with things that my sister loved. Cause it's just like a sibling rivalry thing where like, mm. I would hate things that she loved where like I came to it and I was like, Holy shit. God damn it. Clueless is the best movie of, the, yeah. of that decade. You know what I mean? <laughs> wait like, a minute. Wait a minute. Let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Oh wait, was, did you actually watch it on VHS? Ian? Yeah. Nice. For just the other day, like yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. God damn. <laughs> Did you get to see the widescreen version or was it all? Uh, yeah, boxy? it's widescreen. Okay. But okay. I also have uh, watched it, like, since I showed it to Greta, we've watched it probably mm-hmm. three times, you know, on digital Other, or whatever. It would be criminal to not watch this movie in widescreen. It's just so good. Yes. I, I was glad so to good. really be able to pay attention to the details in this movie because it's truly amazing. Like, you can see the auteur that uh that Quaron is to is to really blossom into later you know with just the oh the, uh, the visions for how he could set some of these shots up there's one particular simple shot where it's literally a bird's eye view looking down on a gardener breaking leaves and it pulls slowly yeah. up into the sky and it just looks great like i just couldn't take my eyes off of this the, this movie like uh, you know I'm, yeah yeah, it's clear who this guy is going to become, you know, and is becoming I'll meet already. And I think a lot of that is the cinematography, too. Absolutely. And I think uh, but I would say both of them, like the first movie we watched, like, again, I, I, I do maintain that it's like a good, bad movie, like or a bad, good. I can't remember what my argument was, but it was the right call. Uh, <laughs> but it was like it's just like it's so well done and there's so many good ideas and there's so many cool things in it. But the takeaway is like this sucks i don't like it uh yeah. this movie like both of them like are just every shot is like not only like gorgeous to look at and and meaningful and stuff like that but it's like everything is so well realized and the whole story as a whole is so so powerful uh, i had the vhs tape growing up and uh the, the, it came with it a came plastic with locket, locket. Yeah. i wore the locket nice. uh, <laughs> uh it had me and sarah in there uh best best buds <laughs> i got the tattoo of the locket um, on your chest but like i when i watch it now it's so powerful to me and i can't tell if the impression that it made on my brain is just like reacting to seeing it again do you know what i mean or if it's like still good all over again like i don't know if if my taste was so formed by this film because it was so amazing and radical to me when I first saw it or I think to Chris's point earlier, like it's ages so incredibly beautifully also. Like, I think, you know, I completely understand the reaction you had to it when you were a kid as like a young cinephile in a weird way, like coming <laughs> yeah. into your own as, as yeah. that and seeing like a blossoming auteur, like come out of Coron in this movie. But like watching it now, you know, we talk a lot about how shitty 
movies look now and how little and feel now and feel now and like the timelessness of this movie is just like i mean yes the the fact that he makes it so incredibly earnest and like unabashed in its like heartstrings you know but without pulling on them it doesn't have the thing of like it would so easily and it any other director, I think, would have made it feel cloying, you know? Mm-hmm, and, in, mm-hmm. and in his, it just feels like reading the book must have felt for the last 150 years, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah, something like it's that. completely timeless. And I think it's also funny. Oh, go I was going to say, uh, you kind of touching on a point you guys made earlier, it does kind of feel as though it was uh, ex- shot through the experience of a child, like all the way from the knobs and whatnot. Like there's a scene at the end when the cops are coming, right? And it's kind mm-hmm. of silly because the whole paddy wagon pulls up <laughs> and like three or four cops pile out of this thing. And it's like, you know, oh, let's, we got to get this privileged, non-combative 11 year old kid, you know, let's take yeah, the whole team. Like you know what I mean? But when you're a kid, like this <laughs> right? But think about it. Like if you're a kid, that it's like what that would probably feel like, like the whole world is coming <laughs> after you. I never, ca- I never questioned it as a kid. And now I'm like, damn, they said us also like you talk about how all the adults are cartoon like besides the dad basically yeah miss minchin in a different kind of way but like Mm. the cops the way that they're just standing there sorry i'm laughing trying to get this out the way they're just standing there watching her go over the plank like not reacting almost it's so funny like i it's fucking good. It's good. cracked up no i think minchin is a cartoon character but like totally an evil one yeah He's like, like look at the, well let's think well, about the part where it's is. like stop this party your your dad's dead we're kicking you out of school yeah, and now you're gonna be living in the attic as my slave of happy birthday you know okay i do Ouch. think that like the woman i can't remember who plays her sorry uh but the woman who plays her plays her yeah. like it doesn't go for the um, Matilda version of this, which mm, came out right. probably around the same right, time yeah. where it's like another great you know, film. Yeah, of course. Great movie. But like that movie has like the full cartoon effect, yes. like yes. zooming in on her face mm-hmm. and having it be over. Like she plays it subtly despite being, you know, an yeah. archetype and dramatic or, or uh she plays it like um with some some nuance or something yeah, I should yeah, not it's not, it's not subtle it's she not definitely subtle, isn't subtle. I there's layers and yeah, or yeah. In, yeah yeah uh anyway <laughs> yeah. there's like yeah um, it's funny because like there's so much irony in the quaron's first film you know what i mean like everything is like kind of a joke and like the, even especially i thought it was funny because there's you know one of his like ad campaign ideas is this like traditional Mexican thing with like the like Mayan warrior and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And the whole thing is such a goof. And he does a really similar thing in this with like India, the way he treats India as like this, you know, mystical place of the past or something, but it's not a joke at all. It's like very serious. And, yeah. uh, and it's just weird how he, but there is a similar, I don't know what it is or if I can put my finger on it yet, or maybe it'll become clear in time, but like there is a connection between that movie uh, the first one, uh, Solo con tu pareja, this movie, and then like all his movies in like coming up. And I don't know how to explain it exactly, but it's he hmm. there is like both an irony and a sincerity, like in all all of his movies that is per- well, like, sp- specifically things- his point of view. And I think, yeah. um, you know, looking at uh, some of the reactions to this movie online, a lot of people are like, this is such a weird that it's so weird that this is a Alfonso Cuaron movie. And I don't think it is at all. I think his kind of like. Oh yeah. Uh, I so yeah, I don't know. One of the things that you had mentioned maybe off podcast or on, I can't remember, but I'm always on the um <laughs> this one has that with the World War Two, I mean World War One storyline and all that is like the way that he treats 
the little girl's um, problems with as much sincerity and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, gravity, I guess, to, to use oh, the word. Oh, I see what you did there. As, like, as the giant world that's going on around them you know like because there is this world war that's happening and you see it in the neighbor as he's like mourning the loss of his son and you right. literally see scenes of it while his her dad is fucking you know trying to save somebody's life and like yeah. uh you know there's this massive world war happening around them but that's treated with as much with like as much or equal i should say gravity as like whether or not like she's going to get her locket back. Like, it's yep. like, you know, mm. he, he takes like this very like sincere, like approach to the problems that are like the kids problems too, I guess. I don't know. And like, uh, but also acknowledging that there's this other world of problems that's happening out there. And I think this speaks to like the main theme of the movie as I saw it. And like, I think this kind of feels different than what I understand. I've, I've never read the book, but I did see the old movie and kind of like, to me, this movie has aged greatly. It is timeless. And they did kind of update it to be like less racist, but it still has these kind of artifacts in it that are kind of unavoidable. And he does kind of lean into what I think you'd call like the exoticism or like the Orientalism of like this kind of like Western view of uh, India as this kind of like magical land. And but <laughs> and, and that's horrible, especially like because it was, you know, again, in the original book and in, in historic reality, India was, you know, exploited by the British and still also romanticized in a really kind of gross way um, that this movie uh, absolutely does not really deal with. And in fact, kind of like shares that viewpoint a little bit, um, which again, it tries to have its cake and eat it, too, in a way. Mm -hmm. But but. You know, India isn't literally India in the movie, and yeah. it never is literally India in any kind of like orientalized, romanticized vision. But in this movie, it's important that Sarah is from like another culture, kind of, um, and that she is like this person who's been in both cultures um, because she has values that are different than the like kind of strict kind of authoritarian values that she meets when she comes to New York. And she's had friends that are different races and like, you know what I mean? And she's had this kind of like freedom and stuff like that, that like kids in India maybe have. And again, India is an extremely class-based society and stuff like that. So it's not really about India. And you could say that it's, uh, you know, very problematic to treat India as just like a, you know, a symbolic place and not a real sure. place with history and stuff like that. But, but the big but. thought is like, it's good. It's cool. No, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it, 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 it does allow the movie to have this theme of like, there is a better world possible. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. that. And I think that is like a big part of the story. Yeah. And then I think that is a, a theme of Alfonso Cuaron's too, which is like, we've made a shitty world and uh, that doesn't like allow people to be free. It doesn't allow people to be themselves. And I think this is in Children of Men. I think this is even in Gravity. I think this is obviously in uh, Harry Potter. And um, I think uh, I think this might be like my favorite version of that story of his. You know what I mean? Where it's like um, like just a celebration of like imagination that's been and and human spirit that hasn't been like trampled by this kind of uh, society and reality that we've built for ourselves. And I love that theme because, it, again, it's it's not just like times are hard, but you can get through it if you have personal resolve. It's literally there could be a different physical reality, right. material reality for us. 
And um, I think that's like the um, Quaron's like political side like coming out. And I think that's so powerful in this movie. What do you guys think? Well said. Both about the racism and the I think that, political message. Yeah, I think that where it gets the most dodgy is Ramdas like Ram being like the magical, magical Indian character, yeah. you know, yeah. and you know, that's whatever. I do think that like, again, I'm not trying to give it a pass just because I really loved it. Right. But I kind of weirdly am because I do like not giving it a pass, but like what, what, possible way is there to make this story without having a character like that because like you said it's like india is not india what you're seeing is her remembering her magical childhood you know what i mean and like part of it is that like uh she had to have the other culture and she had to have had interracial friends and she had to have like or not interracial friends but fr- like be friends with another race and um all of that stuff but another part of it is literally just like the way that you look on the halcyon days of yours, you know what I mean? Like she's like thinking of her father as a child, like even in the moment and like childhood is so magical before shit went to hell. And like, she's got this like, you know, life where she's just, it's the two of them and they're. But I don't think it's childhood in the abstract. I think it's literally, you know, you could say like her time in India represents like childhood and then going to school represents like socialization and 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 like entering society and like becoming an adult and she's like i refuse to like you know enter into this kind of like world and i think showing the dad right i mean it's do you hear what i'm saying like it's well but that does sound like it's abstract because that's like i mean that's what it is for kids like i mean it's it's that thing where you where the the shittiness but i'm not just saying no but i yeah but i mean it's a specific shitty world though i think we have this experience and he's saying that this is not just like a thing that I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think it's just like everybody goes through this, but I think it's like, again, no. like, literally there's like a better way. And like, I think showing like the dad ending up in like literally a world war is yeah. showing like, this is the world that we're creating. You know, this kind of yeah. like this rigidity, this system like created this, the war that he's in now. Do you know what I mean? I think, I think that that's possible. I also think that possible. like, there's a, yeah, I mean, whoever loves the movie most gets to determine the meaning. <laughs> okay, fine. That's what it's about. I also think, though, that like that may be the specifics of this movie, but there is the theme that goes through all of Quaron and including this one where children of men, he's looking back on his life before his life went shitty. You know, he does this thing where he's like very reminiscent and also thinking. You know, there's a lot of redemption in this movie. She doesn't have to redeem herself because she never really loses faith. There's one moment where that—that's the only moment that didn't work for me, honestly. When she actually does lose faith and says to Becky, "Like, I'm not a princess. There is no magic." It's like, no, maybe it's just a performance <laughs> Come on, or whatever. Yeah. But like, we know you are. This yeah. movie's called a little. Princess. <laughs> All my homies were chanting, princess, 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 in that that's, scene. That's the only, and when like, she's like, we are a princess, we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the only crisis of faith she has crazy. in the movie, you yeah. know, is that yeah. one moment. And it doesn't really fucking matter. He could have cut that for I agree. For right. I actually agree. Movie. I actually There's agree. no, like, but, low, low, ins- you know, she doesn't have, like, the doldrum, the bottoming out yeah, of sorts. Yeah, exactly. And so, but most of his characters do. Like, most of his characters in his movies, mm-hmm. you pick up with them when they're in those doldrums of life. And they're like, 
life was great. Gravity. She's like mourning the loss of her child, and she's in this incredibly dark place that she has to pull herself out of. Children of Men, he's mourning the loss, and he's like incredibly scummy and shitty, and he has to like redeem himself. And all of his movies have, you know, a, a little bit of that, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like... Let's say this there's parallel isn't that themes. Different. This isn't that different for her. I mean, it's obviously more fantastical and more like, um, you know, storybook like for it to be like an arc of going from the India to, you know, a happy ending like that, like with like this sad moment in, in the middle of it kind of thing. And I do agree with you that like it is optimistic in what it thinks that the world can be. And how like she has to defeat um, the evil fucked up society that was built yeah. around her. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I do think that it's also just a theme of like, I don't know. I just think that both things are true. She's also thinking of India in those moments or the camera is seeing India in those moments as like the ma- majesty of like unencumbered childhood you know yeah but all I, the bullshit yeah i uh was watching toward the end of this movie i started asking myself in what way are we viewing this movie so by that i meant are we actually seeing some of this as like an older sarah like reminiscing or like almost as like a dream sequence of the past because there's certain little things that make you wonder like is this real or is this like her imagining this? Like the fact that the the neighbor happens to have a son in the exact same regimen as her dad, you know, or the, mm-hmm. the neighbor happens to have this Indian house guy, like a keeper guy, a uh, servant guy mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. assistant. Like there's certain things that would fit in like, like a dream almost like this is how I remembered yeah. it, you know, but it's also yeah. clear that, you know, toward the end, it's more of like a fairy tale in its construction. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of these details yeah. of course come together, like, like they would in a fairy tale. So, it kind of makes me wonder, like, who am I seeing this? Whose eyes am I seeing this through? You know, and how is this story mm-hmm. being told? And you know, the more we talk about it, it's clear this is really like from the vantage of a child, and a lot of it would make mm-hmm. sense if we can see it through those eyes. So, um, yeah, 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 that's kind of how- yeah. And I think it is ridiculous, like all the little like coincidences and stuff like that. But you just kind of buy them because the story is so, to me, is so powerful. Right. Uh, I do think it's interesting, like how kind of like. The movie in general is so stylized and beautiful and stuff like that. But then they kick it into like the stratosphere with like the storybook passages, the uh, the story of um, the Rama. Ramanaya or whatever love it's called. That. Yeah, Rama. Uh, oh, I love that so, stuff so much. Good. Basically, everybody who talks about The Fall, you know that movie, The yeah, Fall? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, they just old news, old news. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that movie. Tarsum though. Singh didn't do anything that this movie didn't do <laughs> faster and better. Although... <laughs> That early CGI monster, like, I have mixed feelings about that. <laughs> Amazing. What are you talking about? That's, like, one of the, the best parts of the movie. It's, it's so cool. great. It's kind of cool. It's so I great. love that they were, like, trying to push it and do something new and exciting. But it looks so, like, it looks like one of the, like, those, the 3DO or, like, the Jaguar. One of those, like, the early 3D video game mm-hmm. systems oh, Jaguar. that never yeah, caught yeah, on. Yeah, 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 The way they had their own kind of aesthetic that they tried to build from the ground up that just never went anywhere. Yeah. It feels like you're watching something like that. My other favorite 90s movie. Uh, Mortal Kombat also has yes. scenes with that stuff and it just ages so so poorly like if that was like a stop motion monster like that would this movie would like probably be 
My all-time favorite, though. It actually makes sense. It would be like like an old Sinbad in the Seven Seas kind of like old yeah, school monster. Yeah, that would have fit perfectly. So I think you're right. I think you're right there. Yeah, actually. with all the real lighting on the on those beautiful sets that they yeah. made, like a real 3D creature would have been incredible. You guys, I just saw the most amazing movie. Have you heard of Mad God? No. So uh, this guy Phil Tippett, who did special effects for the original Star Wars, and then he went on to do the stop motion for like RoboCop nice. and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But then he also did stop motion tests for Jurassic Park. And he famously, when they showed him like, no, we're going to do it with CGI. Look at this. He went, oh shit, I just went extinct, didn't I? And like, <laughs> so he, but then he learned 3D uh, modeling just for that movie and did the dinosaurs for that movie. And then he went on to do uh, Starship Troopers and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for the last 30 years, he's been working on a stop motion animated oh, like uh, epic. And he, it, it just came out in the last year. He's been showing it at film festivals. I saw an Alameda. Uh, it is like one of the most disturbing, horrible, wonderful things I've ever seen in my life. If you get a chance, I'm sure you'll love it. It's called Mad God. Count me in. That sounds cool. amazing. Yeah. Stop motion animated. Uh, but with a little bit of um, like people, like real people filmed and like edited in in weird nice. ways. It's totally experimental and bizarre. It's uh, like at least an hour and a half long and there's no dialogue and uh, highest possible recommendation. Sweet. Awesome. Just a little aside. Sounds kind of like cool. that movie. Uh, um, what's it called? Fantastic Planet or whatever. That French movie. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. No weird animation. <laughs> yeah. Almost no talking. Yeah. Anyway, this will ruin your life, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. It's, it's like Hooray. it's less like oh funny, like but it's more like what you're subjecting yourself to an experience. See it on the big screen if at all possible, because the audio too is like you need to be like uh, bludgeoned by it. I think to, to have the full experience. Cool. Um, speaking of people like that work in the effects department, <laughs> we're going to call it taking center stage. Lubeski owns this movie. I mean, he may be the MVP of this movie, you know, mm-hmm, it's totally. so beautifully shot. And like, I mean, obviously it's Alfonso Cuaron's green thing, but like mm-hmm. the amount of green well, in this, we movie, don't know whose green thing it is, but I mean, right. Well, I mean, he's like, talked about it. Like he's okay, okay. Uh, like, um, cause Lubeski's um, talked about it too. He's talked about how like you can light green and like, more different ways and play with it like I'm in a sure, cool like, range the, or blue, cool or warm range and so i it may be a thing that they share i mean they may I'm share sure a lot that, of like the way that he yeah. shoots green makes is what made Alfonso Cuaron obsessed with it but he talks Who about knows? about Who how knows? obsessed he was with the color green at that time no shit fucking sure like we yeah. can see it because it's like everything mm-hmm. on this movie mm-hmm. was so incredibly green mm-hmm. and i was so in love with it like it was yep. so beautiful to me i mean the other thing that was um well, the green also gives it a cool like uh like cohesiveness so it feels like again like feels kind of like a like a fairy tale or something like that right where you're in a world where just everything yeah is on a world. scale of green but also somebody said like i think the production designer was talking about when you just have green as like a base color it almost reminds you of like an old photograph where like oh, everything's yeah. kind of sepia mm-hmm. or something like like there's a little color color mm-hmm. but like it they don't have a full range of color so i think that yeah, kind that, of, makes uh, sense. that totally adds to like that. the timelessness of the mm-hmm. of the thing yeah i mean the production design in this movie insane it's incredible and all the kids like are great the way they direct the kids there's like almost like a picnic at hanging rock kind of vibe at one point <laughs> like when the girls are just like lazily sitting around right and then and then one picked their nose which i thought was really yeah, funny yeah. Yeah. i was like they did, yeah i do like it felt improv improvisational uh yeah like the way that they 
filmed the kids, you know, which I think he has said that was like the scene when the snow burst through the window, he basically just let Sarah have that, you know, and she just started twirling and all that stuff was all her, like just improvising. And I guess, you know, originally there was no snow, but he's like, oh, you can't see the wind. It looks like it's like too magic with the just windows suddenly opening. So they added the snow and that scene is incredible to look yeah. at like it's yeah. such a beautiful it reminds me of like the scene in cinderella when she like transforms into the ballroom gown right. and she twirls around and there's like you know dust all around her fairy dust all around or whatever yeah. it's incredible that was like, the only part that got me a little cringy though was like seeing ram das and he's kind of like bowing and the course. music I'm like this is yeah. a little much but you know he the- <laughs> like i was almost when she sees him for the first time in his Indian clothes, like so colorful and beautiful in the past. That's really rubbed me the wrong way. That moment, or not just that moment, but like his character in general, it rubs me the wrong way later. Mostly when he seems to know things he shouldn't know, you know, when he's like, um, I mean, he doesn't overtly say anything magical, but he does. I mean, obviously like fills their fucking attic with, goodies but yeah but aside from that like him sort of kind of nodding as if he knows what's going to happen the whole time rubs me the wrong way yeah in a weird way like i feel like her yeah there is like i don't think they pushed it so far that it's like um i mean i guess everyone has like a different line of like sensitivity for that stuff and maybe this is me just being like um glib but um it could have been worse i guess this is my take on it and i i feel like she and this guy do like have a connection and i feel like there is you know what i mean because they were both like in india and like they have like there's just like an unspoken thing and i think it kind of works with like the magic of the movie but yeah uh, again that's what i was trying to say when i was saying i was giving it a pass was not because i do give it a pass but it's just like on the scale of movies this is so far on the better side than the worst side in terms of racism you know what i mean like so many movies are more racist than this especially if they're dealing with india like magical india or um you know a black servant girl like all that stuff you know like i think that they handle all that stuff really well and the fact that like 95 is a long time ago it's not that long ago but it's long enough ago that like for her to see Becky and immediately want to start talking to her and be like her friend and then like call out that it's doesn't matter that she has a different color of skin. Like that's even didn't really happen in 1995 that often. You know what I mean? Like that's like, I can't think of a lot of movies that like would call it out. Well, Passenger 57 yeah. always bet on black. <laughs> that's different. That basically black the sequel of this that. movie. If you think about it. <laughs> I was thinking like I said that it was like a white girl saying it to another white girl in this. True, true. (laughs) For as dodgy as it could have been, it passed with like a B plus with the racists. I was really watching it for that. Really, when in mind when I was watching it, because I remember like how I want to see this now. You know, as a slightly older, more observant, you know, film viewer, and uh, I was actually surprised how non, you know, ridiculous the the portrayal of Becky was, and actually. Kind of sincere, the relationship kind of felt. Um, I think he did it well. Yeah, I think yeah, their I like, relationship is 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 pretty. And I think good the, too, yeah. you know the the Ram Dass Be- uh, Sarah relationship is like it's so perfectly like um, built for the movie, 
but like outside of the movie, I can imagine if you were like an Indian scholar at the time, not a scholar, but like a activist or whatever you want to call it for Indian portrayal in cinema, you'd be like, can we not fucking do this over and over again of having like the character that's just here to help the little white girl, you know, I get right. that part. Right. And the fact that the, I was glad that they didn't do that with Becky also. Like she had her own inner life. Yeah. That's what like I was help. trying to say. Like, yeah, yeah, she's like a real character in the movie. Like, yeah. When I was going to say too, the, uh, the dream sequences of Rama and, and sorry, or whatever the, uh, their names are, I think, uh, are also, you know, the, like the dad's character or the, the Liam Cunningham yeah, yeah. is playing Rama, you know? So they're not like Indian actors, of course, playing those. But that's, again, right. we're seeing it through her eyes. This is through the eyes of the child. This is how she's imagining this and, you know, seeing it, of course. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these characters are all like part of her fantasy involving her actual parents and the way they, you know, yeah. affect her life. So I think it's that was blue weird. face. I thought I thought it was a blue <laughs> actor, but it's really yeah. <laughs> it was the whole thing. I mean, we've said it before too many times already on this episode, but like the whole thing was so her you know, Sarah's vision, you know, or all the kids vision, but Sarah specifically between the way that it was shot mostly through her perspective and a lot of scenes over her shoulder, the scenes that weren't were like extreme close-ups on her face reactions and stuff like that. But then also like the goodbye scene that you mentioned earlier, Travis, incredibly powerful scene in the script. Did you guys read this? I, like I it was written yeah. as a love scene. Like he was supposed to be like lovers basically. And what? I think that that was, yeah. And, no, it, you know, it was not, wait, no, no, not in a sensual, not literal, way, not yeah. in a sensual way, but it was written as if he was writing a scene between two lovers saying goodbye because he wanted to show the, the powerfulness of that the love closeness. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. Okay. Like the intensity of that love that you don't usually get in like a father daughter. There's too much bound in that when you're saying goodbye to a daughter in a movie or something like that. So like they wrote it as if it was like saying goodbye to your lover or there's a day. note in the script that says creepy. like he holds her like as like as if she's like a lover like blah 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 yeah it's not like it sounds creepy but it's it's actually really powerful because I to me it's not just showing that Alfonso Cuarón has such a intense feeling for his for being a parent which he has clearly has he works with his son still you know what I mean like but also I think that like and you know every movie he makes is like for the age his child was when the movie came out, you know, but it's not just that. It's also like for an 11 year old girl, like that is like a weirdly intense relationship, you know, like, like saying goodbye would be more like saying goodbye to a lover than just like, you know what I mean? Well, it, it's also, not like, it also works well that we never see the mom and the dad together in their relationship. It's clear how much they love one another. So you can see it basically and interpret it as sort of a reflection of the the dad and the mom's love for one another echoed in, you know, yeah, Sarah, yeah. I think. You know who does that is um, Raul Dahl. He has a ton of books where a, one of the parents is dead and then the other parent is like, their all their love goes to the kid and it creates mm. this like super strong bond. Mm. And I yeah. love that in movies. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I love <laughs> that power when it's like two people that are like, like just really in love with each other. And uh, I, I really like seeing it as a parent and kid because it's like, I just almost revealed too much about myself, but no. <laughs> Do tell. No, but I, I just think like I really, I, I loved that when I was a kid reading stories like that, like uh, Danny Champion of the World. There's this whole thing where like the mom died and the dad is like, oh shit, I have to take care of this kid. And so he like makes this kind of like he built, like he's this poor guy with just like a, um, he lives in a, 
like a wagon, but he makes it like the most beautiful, like uh, plush wagon. So it's like this little cocoon that this kid gets to be in. And in, and James the Giant Peach, when he describes the peach that he's in, it's a similar thing where he's just mm-hmm. like, it's almost like returning to the womb. Like you're in this perfect situation that gets then again messed up by society. So I love those kind of like relationships of, of you know, sometimes it's like with two people in love in a movie can do that too. But um, yeah, a parent kid, I, I love that. Yeah. Again, one parent, one kid, and just this like super tight <laughs> yeah. bond. It's such a cool thing to me. Yeah, yeah, it gets you every time. It gets, it gets me. Yeah, but I think you're totally, totally right on, Chris. It's totally, you're totally right. They're like the, all they have in the world together. Yeah, and when he goes to war, you're like, why? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, God. But I think that that scene is, you know, it is also from her perspective. Like it is for, you know, that's one of those rare scenes that's actually a two-hander like it's both of them sort of giving a full um range of performance like yeah not to mention like every ray of light and every detail of the productions like this movie is literally like hitting on all firing on all cylinders like this movie like uh, am i crazy like this is one of the best movies i've ever seen in my life it's really fucking good and it's it's so like it's it's so worth mentioning that it did not do well when it opened like it kind of bombed and it was, it, I don't know if you can really call it a bomb if it got such a critical, like it was a, you know, sensation. Critical, critical. darling. But, uh, but it was, you know, it opened to bad box office. Not that that fucking matters, but it, well, it was. That's kind of was, how you gauge right? a bomb though, especially when you spend 17 million <laughs> on a movie that takes in 10, you know, I mean, as yeah, far as like exactly a dollar for dollar, that is, that's that considered a bomb flop, but. Yeah, but I guess, yeah, I guess it made a bunch of money, though, on VHS. And I don't yeah. know the exact numbers or if it made it, its money back, but I believe it was considered a big success on VHS. Well, because and Ian again, literally has like, like 10 video, boxes of them in his, co- his closet. You know, <laughs> that video we showed us earlier was the Ian, only was one mostly Ian. of his like thousands of copies. He's the only one like who bought them. Like okay. <laughs> <laughs> VHS horde. You're like um, Thanos with the Infinity Stones, but you have like uh, all the lockets, like every. But it's worth mentioning that the box office, because you know he hasn't had a success yet. Obviously, like he's well. Solo- wasn't, wasn't the other movie a huge success in Mexico, or am I? No, am, am it I wasn't. Forgetting? It wasn't. Oh. I mean, it was. It was a cult movie. You know, it grew oh. over years and years and years. So, oh. um, and then this one came out, and the only real success he's had so far is he got. Uh, Picked up between those two movies for the uh, what's it called the Sidney Pollock's like film noir anthology series that he did for Showtime. He did a one hour episode of that like ten episode series, and it was like everybody has said, I gotta find it because everybody says like the best Alfonso Cuarón movie. Basically, oh cool, I didn't even know that. um, Yeah, we don't watch TV here, so we're not gonna watch it. Well, this one was nominated for both art direction and cinematography, if I recall, right? That's this movie, Mm -hmm. A Little Princess. Princess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it was like critically loved. I mean, it's got like ninety-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something. You know, it's like I'm um, mad about that. But um, (laughs) this movie also came out at a time when I feel like it was like the end of an era. You don't see this anymore, but like. Or like to the same degree anymore, but it was like the end of an era of, you know, you said it was like the third or fourth version of this. And uh, like, if you think of like the era of liter- great literature, like ending in like the early 20th century, right? Like they were 
movies were still reaching back to those days, yeah. like for material. And uh, this was like the last era of those like timeless classic uh, children's novels being adapted into movies. Like, again, you still see like a smattering of, of them now, but that was like, we want to make a classy kids movie. Let's go back a hundred years and take one of these like classic books. You had uh, The Secret Garden. Mm -hmm. You had Little Women. Mm -hmm. You had uh, this movie all around the same time. Black Beauty. In, addi in addition, yeah, you had Black Beauty. You had uh, Into the West right. was not uh, based on literature, but like another amazing kids movie with like kind of like a timeless feel, a magic like and all these like these aren't all fantasy movies, but they all have like a fantasy kind of component or like a magical component, like um, beautiful, all beautiful movies and all directed by like auteurs or like really interesting like documentary filmmakers and stuff. Another one is that never gets talked about is Shipwrecked. Ian, I'm, I'm sure you've seen Shipwrecked. What are your, do you know about the, uh... The Disney. I mean, movie. I, it's the Gabriel Byrne one that yep, you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I don't remember it at all. I oh mean, my I've God. definitely so this, seen it, but so Shipwrecked was like when I was a kid was one of my favorite movies ever, and I thought it was like genius. And until I saw the Black Stallion from the '70s, realized it was like kind yeah. of a rip off of that. But it still rules, and it's got like a great performances. Again, great production design, beautiful. Uh, cinematography and one of the best scores actually of any kids movie of all time. Um, hmm. I forget the name of the composer who did it. Uh, the guy who did oh, this this movie we should talk you. about. I yeah. was going to say the the music in this movie mm. is incredible. Like Patrick the Doyle. score yeah. is just so beautiful. It's all well, not all. It's almost nope. all involving like um, you know high voice kind of singing mm -hmm. whatever you call singing it. william blake lines did you know that yeah uh, yeah uh, they're like william blake poems like sung by like girls choirs uh, makes sense yeah which i couldn't hear in the lyrics but i actually i own this in addition to owning the dvd i have on the shelf it's my last remaining 90s clack like plastic clicker uh -huh. thing do you know about those yeah, like yeah, a, they're like made of cardboard the and then you have to like yeah. clack this like plastic over it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It looks so ugly on my shelf, but I can't bear to get rid of the thing. I have to like choose which side to put full screen or widescreen. Yeah. It's like embarrassing every time. But um, but I also have the soundtrack CD because oh, awesome. I'm such nice. a fan. Nice. Really good music. Really good. Yeah, great music. I and Patrick Doyle, he did like he did the score of Into the West. He did a bunch of other uh, amazing scores. He's still doing it. He did the score of Brave, I think. Uh, Pixar's oh, Brave. Cool. Yeah. I got to say, it's just coming to me now how much better this movie is if you're watching it with a eye for like a critical eye, I guess. I don't know. I think like not just because I was biased by my sister loving it so much, but also just like even five years ago when I watched it again for the first time in years, I like was like, oh, this is a great movie. But like, it's so much better when you're looking for the details and like analyzing it. Like maybe, you, you know, you say, am I wrong? Is this not one of the best movies ever made? I think you are not wrong. <laughs> I think it is like an incredible movie. But that Notice that Ian like, can't just say I'm right. He has to like work his way around. <laughs> well, oh yeah, I'm right. God damn it. I was kidding. Um, no, I just think that like, it is without weirdly being and you know, this isn't going to, this is going to make Travis cry, but like without being a movie that like for most people is like incredibly watchable over and over again. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think when I think of the best movies ever made, 
I just think there's something more watchable about them. I don't know. And I don't think that I'll like, if I didn't have an 11 year old, I'd probably watch this movie for this podcast. And then maybe again in like 10 years, if I'm on a Corona kick or something like that, you know what I mean? But like, Mm -hmm. but, but like from a critical eye, it is undeniably one of the best movies ever. It's a tour de force. It's a tour de force. It's so incredible. And yeah, I have to say what, yeah, what stuck out to me was like, yeah, not only are all these, I said it was firing on all cylinders before and I was trying to point out like, oh yeah, the acting, the cinematography, the production design, the music, but also like there are the editing. Um, And again, I I talked about it before, the bitchy little girl who we haven't talked about yet, but how amazing is that girl? Just like her little (laughs) eyebrow things. I was like, I feel like she deserves like a gay following. (laughs) She rules and she should be talked about more. I don't She has some like ridiculous name or something like that. And also Lavinia, what a great evil name. And like Sarah's scene actually where she curses her is probably my favorite Sarah. I said I laughed out loud and it was kind of dark and late when I when I was watching it. And yeah, that was a great part. And that's in that zone where you're talking about of like playing with her having come from this other culture and like the fear that comes from that from people that were you know, in the upper crust white culture, you know, at the time, like, and that was like, I don't know. But it also showed that she had a way to deal with it and like all this other stuff. And like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it was really cool. But anyway, uh, my point is, what was it? Like, it wasn't just like successful, like as a Hollywood style movie. It also like, again, that when she hugs her at the end and it cuts between the triple take, just the slightly different angle and, and, and like kind of messes with linear time in a way that's not like traditional Hollywood editing. That like broke my brain in a really good way mm-hmm. when I was like 12 and I was like, holy shit, you can do that. And like it has this incredible effect and combined with the like the sitar strum, like mm-hmm. I was just like, it really changed how I look at movies and how I think about movies. And and I think like literally, I mean, I do video editing like professionally yeah. and I literally I think that edit is like responsible for that. Literally, like that's, uh, that's funny. it's it's. I had almost yeah, an opposite kind of back to that. Oh, sorry. To yeah, I had almost an almost an opposite effect when I saw that shot because I was watching a lot of Jackie Chan movies by Stanley Tong, especially around that time. And he does that regularly. Right. But that's not an American thing. Uh, it's really just to show, show the same thing exactly. from different angles. Bam, bam, bam. So I was immediately like, oh, this is where Jackie Chan, you know, sidekicks the dude in the head. <laughs> Did you think Lavinia was, do you think Lavinia was about to like body? I was hoping, I was praying something? for it. She's going to jump through the rungs of a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's like, Sarah's like, Sarah's like, it's too late. Throws her aside. Yeah. Slams her Jumps on a motorcycle. On yeah. Yeah. No, it was awesome though. Yeah. Great movie. Um, surprisingly amazing uh again i, I took this on because i know how much travis loves this movie and i'm like okay I'll, I'll you know i'm looking forward to watching it through newer eyes and i'm really glad i did despite the you know kind of ridiculous kid acting and some of the dialogue it's just like definitely a movie i just couldn't take my eyes off of and extra yeah. pumped to see more from these two uh being lubezki and, and Quaron because it's what a what a combo you know this might be my favorite movie of either of them. Like I, like I honestly love it so much. Like I said, it's it's imprinted on my brain in a way that I can't even judge it. Like the other one, like nothing else. My brain's already been formed. Nothing else can go as deep in my grooves and like kind of like uh, excite me like this one can. It's really uh, so. Did cool. you guys think about uh, or when you watched Pan's Labyrinth? Did you think about this movie? I should say no. Mm-mm. This movie's a million times better than Pan's Labyrinth. That's fair. Like, I'm no, like, Alfonso Cuaron, I don't know how he does it exactly, like, but... The, 
I think that like we haven't really talked that much about his contemporaries besides the one that he like works specifically with. Right. But like Del Toro is such a contemporary of his and like they're great friends. And I do think that like, you know, you're obviously a Quaron guy. I am more of a Quaron guy than a Del Toro guy too. But like this is that was his take on this idea of like a little girl escaping to a fantastical world. You know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. a weirdly similar plot uh told through these two different perspectives. You know what I mean? Like the Del Toro yeah. like would- incredibly dark perspective and like the but also not beautiful, uh, beautiful in one way but also like kind of ugly in another way. Which is why I yeah. kind of viewed Pan's then, Labyrinth as more of like an Alice in Wonderland because she's in this strange uh, kind of oppressive world that's kind of hostile to her, but it's yeah. also really beautiful at the same time. So I don't think I had a little princess in mind when I was watching that, but there's certainly a lot of overlap there. Sure. Yeah, it's just his his movie, like, you know, I'm, I love Guillermo del Toro's movies, but at the same time, it's really hard for me to like emotionally engage with them. I think they're formally really incredible, but they often don't like, um, they're to me, like I kind of like forget about them after I watch them. Cause they're like, I just don't, they just don't like ignite my, like, I don't know, whatever visually they're so incredible. Like they're, you know, the monsters and stuff like that and some of the camera stuff, like, but, um, but they just leave me so emotionally cold. Whereas this one, like from the very beginning, it's just like, uh, I'm so, uh, what's the word in, you know? Yeah, I don't even mean, but that's like the difference is like the tone yeah, is so different, right. but like, I just met from a story point of view. I thought that there was interesting that both of them sort of took on this idea of a little girl, like, and told their version of that story. And your I dad's you, dead. Chris. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you, Chris. It's more of an Alice in Wonderland story in that one, but it is also like, you know, there's fucking plot points that just hit in the same way. And I think that because they're so close, there's no way that, Del Toro wasn't thinking a little bit about a little princess while he was making it. Well, especially you know I mean? when you situate them in the context of a true real world war, you know, uh, with that as the mm-hmm. backdrop, right. that's certainly a clear parallel. You know, you're kind of situating a fantasy world within the, the uh, with, with its own monsters in a real world setting with, you know, again, monsters of its own uh, to contend with. So there's certainly a good overlap there. Um, it's interesting. Have you guys seen? No. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, please. No, no, no. Have you seen Spirit of the Beehive? No, there's a there's a famous Spanish movie called Spirit of the Beehive, and it's very. I'm sorry if I said this in the last podcast. It's uh, it's about a little girl. I think it's World War One, something like that. The movie's from Spain. It's from the 70s, and uh, there's kind of like some yeah scary stuff happening on the kind of periphery, and at the same time, oh, it must be maybe World War Two because Frankenstein is out, and she just saw the movie Frankenstein for the first time, or like saw like a snippet of it, and it's like freaking her out like it's like haunting her nightmares and um it's a very quiet movie and very chill movie but there's like a a weird menace that is like in the movie like kind of like at all times uh it's a beautiful film and i think that uh is a was a big influence on uh guillermo del toro's uh movie specifically and i recommend it check it out nice nice yeah i uh We'll say going into great expectations next time. I think that like he always talks about how the only thing he takes from a movie besides a little princess, which is his favorite movie that he's made. I think I don't, I read this interview that came out before Roma. So Roma might have become his favorite movie, Mm. but 
you know, pre-Roma, he did an interview where he said, A Little Princess is the only movie that's really stuck with him that he's made. And the only um, things he takes from most movies is like what he will do in the next movie he makes, you know, like Mm -hmm. lessons of literal filmmaking lessons, you know? Smart, yeah. And and so I'm interested now to watch so quickly after A Little Princess, Great Expectations. Because I will say... It sucks. Like in my memory, it sucks. So, and even he has been like, that was like my folly. Like I, I was trying, he was all, I can't blame anybody for that movie, but myself, like he even talked shit about this movie. So we'll see what it's like. Uh, maybe we're wrong. And I think that like, if I watch it from trying to see what he learned from a little princess to bring into this movie, I'm sure I'm going to find a lot of things to love in great I bet there will be big windows and I bet there'll be the color green. That's just my guess. <laughs> yeah. Again, one of the few of his I haven't seen. So I'm pretty pumped on this one. I've not seen it either all the way through. Yeah. I've seen parts of it. Uh, I've never seen it. It was thing. an HBO movie. I mean, not made for HBO, but it was one of those movies that was just nonstop playing on HBO in the late nineties and early two thousands. And so I definitely have seen it all the way through probably 10 times, but like over <laughs> 50 viewings, you know what okay, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where I'd like watch 25 minutes of it here and there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, incredible cast. We will talk about it next week, but also just, yeah, I think it's his worst reviewed movie. So we'll see how, how it goes. I'm excited for it actually. Totally. Yeah. So this might be the easiest thing we've ever done, but should we rank these two now? Yeah. Little princess. Solo to Pareja. I don't dislike Solo Contu Pareja as, as much as you guys do, but it's clearly not as good as, as little princess. So it's obviously, yeah. you know, number two. Yeah. Same rankings as you guys, but I'm just saying Little Princess is so like it's I liked it more <laughs> I liked it more this time than I even expected to. I was like, yeah. holy shit. Uh it's my number one so far, but like I literally am like, is Children of Men gonna be able to top I, it? Like I'm, I mean, we're only two directors in deep into this podcast and we haven't gotten through it yet. But your favorite with a bullet Cohen Brothers movie was their second movie. Mm-hmm. Your favorite with oh a bullet for movie was his second movie. I wow. wonder if this is going to be a theme that just keeps going. Well, I can think of like 10 directors just off the top of my head where that's not the case. So I mm, think it's just a coincidence. Rushmore, <laughs> is that your favorite Anderson movie? No, actually, I think Grand Bottle Budapest Rocket, Hotel right? is my favorite. Oh. I think it's changed. Oh. Bottle Rocket for a long time was my favorite. Uh, but Grand Bu- Budapest, like... Grand Budapest I just keep It's just so oh, high it's a lot in there. Muscle. But it's not my number one. But yeah. yeah, Rushmore, I mean, Rushmore's right there with it. And it's like, I really hesitate to pick a favorite of those. Yeah. Um, but, Maybe we'll um, get to it someday. But, but Grand Budapest, <laughs> oh, I love it so bad. So much. Always a pleasure, guys. guys. Let's do it yeah. again soon. All right. All right. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Autour Detour. We'll see you again next week. Bye.